My goodness, it is very tall up here. Somehow I have never walked up here. <laughs> I will never forget the first time that I read the book of Judges. I went to a Christian private school, uh, and it was for my elementary school Bible class. And my most uh, formative memory of the book of Judges that here was a book of the Bible that was not boring. Also, it was not boring because it was shocking. <laughs> Certainly, the plots of the stories in the book of Judges are shocking, but even more so, I was shocked by the fact that these stories are in the Bible at all. They are not the neat and moral stories that we expect from the Bible. Perhaps over the past two weeks of this sermon series on Judges, you have found yourself thinking something similar. Perhaps you are more than a little dismayed by the way that the story of Samson, seen through the sober-eyed view of an adult reader, is less the Sunday school hero with he-man strength and long flowing locks who dies heroically for his people. Instead, he's more the man who was given every opportunity from before birth to glorify God, but instead of glorifying God and judging Israel righteously, he chose to waste his gifts on feeding his various appetites, only to find that his strength was worth only revenge in the end. Perhaps last week's story made you feel no better. A tribe's redemption at the price of 300 stolen women is not the sort of victory we can feel good about celebrating. Frankly, the phrase, in those days there was no king in Israel, each person did what they thought was right, sounds more like the setup to a modern grimdark TV series like Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad or The Walking Dead than the capstone verse to a book of the Bible. So the question begs to be asked, what possible reason could the Hebrew people have had for including these stories in their sacred scriptures? Furthermore, what possible reason could the Christian fathers and mothers have had for wanting to keep this book in the Christian canon? Is this book of Judges just an extended cautionary tale about how awful humanity is? Surely not. Surely there is hope somewhere. When our family watches a movie together, especially if that movie has any kind of characters in danger, there always comes a moment when our son Ian wants to pause the movie and ask, so who are the good guys here? It's an important question. Surely there were good guys in the book of Judges. Perhaps Samson was not the hero we wanted him to be, but there must have been others. After all, there are quite a few vacation Bible school heroes that we have not talked about yet. Maybe their stories are more heroic. If Samson and the men who decided that the best way to revive the tribe of Benjamin was through a mass kidnapping event are the bad guys, surely there are good guys too. There's Gideon. The angel of the Lord came directly to him, a youngest son, a member of the tribe of Manasseh, the weakest tribe of Israel, while he was threshing wheat in a wine press to avoid it being seen by the Midianites who were stealing the Israelites' flocks and crops to the point that they were starving to death. The Lord tells Gideon that he is with him and that through him he will defeat the Midianites who have been oppressing Israel and he will turn Israel back to the Lord. 
and God does. There's an incredible nighttime battle in which Gideon and his small army of only 300 men rout the Midianites through surrounding their camp and smashing these jars that are containing porches and blowing trumpets really loudly so that it looks like there are more of them than there really are. And yes, Gideon did, God, did doubt God at every point along the way, continually asking God for more and more complicated assurances that he was there. But he had the good sense to refuse it when the people of Israel asked him to be their king. He said, I'm not the one who will rule over you, and neither will my son. The Lord rules over you. And after this, Judges tells us that the land was at peace for 40 years. This is significant. From the very beginning, in Genesis 1, God's desire has been to give his people good gifts. And a sign of those good gifts is rest. And God says of that rest in Genesis 1 that it was supremely good. In the book of Judges, the sign that the people have heeded the Lord and that the judge has done his or her job is that the land and the people are at rest. The land is not at rest after Samson pulls down the temple on the Philistines. The land nor the people are at peace after the events of last week's sermon when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But after Gideon, the land is at rest. This is a good story. So maybe Gideon's our good guy. Maybe we can look to him for guidance on how to construct our lives. There's just one problem. Earrings. The Midianite soldiers wore golden earrings, and Gideon collected them all. And then he melted them down and created a priestly ephod with it. It's a vest that the Israelite priests wore in religious services, which he set up on a stand in his hometown, and which the book of Judges tells us eventually caused all of Israel to become unfaithful again because, quote, it became a trap for Gideon and his household. Sure enough, by the time of Gideon's death, the Israelites were worshiping Baal again. Gideon knew that the only true king of Israel was the Lord. Gideon knew that the cause of all of the Israelites' woes was that they had worshiped other gods. But over time, he lost track of the difference between worshiping the one true God and the priestly religion which honored that one true God. He made a literal idol out of the Israelite religion. He believed the lie that the way they worshiped God and the blessings they received because of it were worth more than that relationship with the one true God himself. Is it any wonder that the Israelites turned back to worshiping Baal? Baal, a god of fertility, whose practitioners promised the blessings of abundant crops and healthy flocks, the blessing without the need for obedience. There was also Jephthah, another of God's unlikely judges. Jephthah was an illegitimate son and was run out of town by his brothers, but God had given him a brilliant tactical mind. And in a time when the Ammonites were oppressing the Israelites, God raised up Jephthah to lead the Israelite army and defeat them and their god, Shamash. The Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah, so he had everything he needed to defeat the Ammonites, and he did defeat them. 
Judges tells us that it was an exceptionally great defeat. But though Jephthah knew that Shamash and the gods of the Ammonites were not like the God of Israel, he couldn't quite believe it to be true. When the Spirit of the Lord was already on him, which means that the battle was already won, he told God that in return for a decisive victory, he would kill whatever came out of the doors of his house first to greet him when he arrived home, and that he would offer it as an entirely burned offering to the Lord. And when what emerged from that house was his only daughter, his only child, he forgot his father in the faith, Abraham, and that God, the one true God, did not in the end desire the sacrifice of Abraham's son, Isaac. No, Jephthah killed his daughter, and he offered her as a burned offering to the Lord, not because the Lord demanded it, but because he thought that God wouldn't really save the Israelites unless he sacrificed for it. Faced with God's all-sufficient mercy, Jephthah measured it and decided it couldn't be enough. Jephthah's story ends not with rest in the land, but with Jephthah systematically killing members of the tribe of Ephraim, 42,000 people, in a fit of pique that lasted six years. Judges is tragic not just because of the cycle of disobedience to God, despair, reformation under a judge that God raises up, and then Israel's ultimate downfall again, but because the judges themselves so often fail so badly. So often, even with God's immediate intervention, they still choose wrongly. Reading it this way, it is a tale of woe and misery. So why? do we read it? Where is the hope? I could point you to the only judge who has a long story and about whom the authors of the book of Judges have nothing negative to say, but I think it is more important to point you to her words, not what she did. Listen to the song of Deborah. When they chose new gods, then war came to the city gates, yet there wasn't a shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel. You who ride white donkeys, who sit on saddle blankets, who walk on along the road, tell of it. To the sound of instruments at the watering places, here they repeat the Lord's victories, his villagers' victories in Israel. When the Lord's people marched down to the city gates, wake up, Deborah, wake up, wake up, sing a song. Arise, Barak, capture your prisoners, Abinoam's son, then a remnant marched down against royalty, the Lord's people marched down against warriors. Hear what Deborah says. She says to tell of it. She says to sing of it. She says to play instruments to emphasize it because the telling of God's deeds, God's work, God's acts is more important than any deeds she has done or ever will do. Deborah sees the evil, and she tells the evil that she sees in Israel. She tells Israel of their sinfulness, and she tells of the evil and the oppression of the Canaanites. She also tells them where she sees God working. And she instructs everyone in Israel to tell all these things too. She gives wise counsel. 
And when God shows her an opportunity to free Israel from the evil Canaanite warlord and a cruel Canaanite king, then she acts. Tell of it. And tell of it she does. Deborah is the only judge who is also identified as a prophet, which, as the Old Testament writers use that word, does not mean that she told the future, but that she listened to God and then told others what she heard. She allowed herself to be used as God's mouthpiece. So it's fitting that one of the oldest pieces of scripture we have in the entire Bible is this song that she sang after the Lord delivered Israel from the Canaanites. If you are looking for good people in Judges, you're going to be really disappointed. You can't put your trust in any one person, but you can put your trust in God. Good things do happen in the book of Judges. God delivered the Israelites from King Cushan Rishthayim through the judge Ithna Othniel. God saved his people from the Moabites through the judge Ehud. God delivered the Philistines through his, delivered the, the Israelites, pardon me, from the Philistines through his judge Shamgar. God saved the Israelites from the Midianites through his judge Gideon. And God delivered the Israelites from the Canaanites through the collaboration of his judge Deborah, the Israelite general Barak, and Jael, about whom we only know that she was Heber's wife and that God calls her blessed above all women. After all these things, when God's people were reconciled to him, the land was at rest. The land was peaceful. Good things happened. It's almost incidental that they happened under the leadership of this judge or that one. And they are no more the point of the stories than the judges themselves. If we go looking for another Othniel or another Shamgar or another Deborah, we'll strike out. Because the whole point of the story is the deeds of God, not the deeds of God's people. And the best leaders tell God's deeds instead of worrying about doing their own. When we look at the book of Judges, we see ourselves. We see how much we want the fight like Samson. We want to sacrifice so we can feel like we deserve it, like Jephthah. We want the blessings, the proof of God's favor like Gideon. But the only proof we need of God's love is not any act that we could ever do, no matter how heroic, nor in any sacrifice we could ever suffer, nor even in any perfect way to worship. We want the struggle, but God wants only to give us rest. We read Judges not to find the example of the perfect warrior, but to remember, as Deborah sang, the God who never gives up on his people no matter how far we stray. We read Judges not for the cautionary tale, but for the reminder that nothing, no plan, no amount of wealth, no sacrifice, not even a great king, can take the place of the one true God. We read Judges to witness God's endlessly merciful desire to give his people good gifts. So go and tell of it. Tell of the work of the Lord in your life and in the world. 
And when we orient our lives toward God, seeking him in the good and the bad, naming the glorious and the miserable moments of our lives to him, we will find that we receive the only thing we ever needed in return, God himself. And he is supremely good. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So much continues to function here at Dolphin Way, our children's work, our youth work, our adult studies. We know that the outreach of the church continues to give to so many different groups here that are in such great need, so it is our part to give back. Before our offering, I invite you to pray with me. God of grace, it is our delight and our devotion to give these gifts to you, and we are and all we have is from you. Accept this joyful offering as a token to our abiding love. Use it to bring peace, justice, and comfort to all in this world. Amen. <laughs>